0: Good evening once again and welcome to the Salvation Meeting here on Fortress Radio. Well, I hope 2022 has started well for you. It's been a bit of a whirlwind here in the Harry House, but we're daily refreshed and sustained by the love and grace of God. And I hope, most sincerely, that it's the same for you. It's nice to let you know that after my health problems in 2021 I'm now able to recommence a more regular ministry here on Fortress Radio and from this month you'll have noticed that I'm to be responsible once again for bringing to you the meetings at 6 p.m. UK time for the first three Sundays of every month. Please continue to pray for my ministry and that God will keep it going for a long time to come. Of course, if you have a favourite song or a band or songster piece you'd like included in a meeting, please let me know and I'll see what I can do. And of course, testimonies are always very welcome indeed, and much enjoyed by listeners, who always receive such a blessing from them. Let's get our meeting off to a great start then tonight with song number 241. It's one of those all-time favourites. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's love? The only point of debate with this song always seems to be the choice of tune. Well, I think in my previous 51 meetings here, I've used both Cardiff and Sagina. And they really are both great tunes. But we're going to use Cardiff tonight. If just so that I can sing that echoing phrase, My chains fell off in the third verse. Hallelujah. mentioned earlier about my life being made so much better by the fact that I regularly look to Jesus for my help. And of course that takes me straight to that beautiful Psalm number 121. So as we pray together let's share that Psalm and the wonderful army setting by Ernest Rance. The song is number 554 in our books. Psalm 121 a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Lord, we know that we don't have to lift our eyes to the heavens. We don't have to look for the hills. We don't have to look into the stars and try to read the signs in the sky like some who believe in that kind of thing do. We know, Lord, that our lives are in your hands and that your love for us is faithful and unending that the grace that you show us will be enough to sustain us and keep us going right the way through our lives. From the day we accept you into our hearts as children or young people to the day when you call us home to spend eternity with you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that faithfulness. We praise you for all the goodness that you show us every day of our lives. Be with us this evening as we share this time of fellowship together and help us to be challenged, to be blessed and to be inspired by things that we hear so that we can go out and be better representatives for you in the world and to the people who we meet each day. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Amen. As usual, it's time now for a song from the Singing Company. Now, this is a song that I enjoyed singing when I was a junior soldier. I was in the Singing Company at Heckman Dwike with the lovely Linda Thompson, Camborne under Winnie Wills, and in Tunstall with Betty Perry. I must admit that I did forget this song completely and I didn't think about it for years, until I was reminded of it a few years ago. Since then I've even recorded it myself and I use it regularly in my cafe church shows that I often undertake around the country. Written by Norman Howe and Robert Redhead, this is the Clydebank Singing Company with I'm Surprised. get on with the Old Testament? It's never the easiest part of the Bible to study, is it? Well, I love the old stories and the stories of Israel's history, and I'm always thrilled when I discover prophecies that were made thousands of years before the events actually took place. But there are parts of the Old Testament that don't make for easy reading. Some people even say, why bother reading them at all? All the old rules and regulations that were laid down in such laborious detail were invalidated by the new covenant that was made with Jesus. Well, I'm very pleased to tell you that tonight we have a guest speaker. Captain Nick Samuel is the officer in London, Ontario. Although you'll tell later from his voice that Canada is not his real home, And he's going to try to answer that question for us, as well as hopefully reminding us of the wonder of God in his message. Nick will affirm for us the importance of Old Testament reading. But in the meantime, yes, there is certainly much value in our Bible study of these great books. And reading about the pilgrims of old who sought and served God there. Oh, did I say pilgrims? Well, that must only lead to one song, mustn't it? It's song number 956, He Who Would Valiant Be, based on the poem by John Bunyan from his book The Pilgrim's Progress. And after we've sung it, we're going to listen to Enfield Citadel Band play Eric Ball's classic selection titled The Pilgrim Way. But first of all, He Who Would Valiant Be.
1: If you have your Bibles handy, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Judges with me. It's not a book that we go to very often in the Old Testament, but we're going to read from Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. And this is what we're told in there. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a 110 and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him, and they served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them they quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge, and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word today. We look forward to hearing something about that in a few moments. Amen. That whole concept of wandering fascinates me.
0: Being a lifelong Salvationist, I have, of course, watched a great number of my friends and family wander away from the church. And it has always been something that has profoundly hurt me personally. I know it hurt my dad too, and his arm-around-the-shoulder approach to particularly young people as they stood on that precipice between staying within the fellowship and wandering away influenced me more than he would ever know. Dad's kind and gentle, friendly words to them, often starting with, hello stranger, has always stayed with me. So much so that, long ago now, I wrote one of my earliest songs with that very title, hello stranger. And it was followed a few years later with a similarly themed song, don't leave him now when someone very, very close to me ceased her own life of Christian service. So Damien Walman's beautiful setting of The Old Words by Sidney Cox has always been very special to me. In fact, every time I hear it, I pray for so many of those friends who are today still wandering far away. This is the International Staff Songsters with He Sought Me. Thank you.
1: was dead to begin with. That's probably one of the most famous opening lines to a book and I wonder how many of you already know exactly which book it was. I wonder how many other books you would be able to name if I mentioned just the first line. Obviously once upon a time doesn't count because there were quite a few of those. But what about It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking thirteen. Or, You better not never tell nobody but God, it'll kill your mammy. Well, those lines, of course, the first one was from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. The second one was George Orwell's 1984 and the third was Alice Walker's book, The Color Purple. But you see, these are words that make us stop and ask questions. Like, wait, who's Marley? How did he die? Uh, 13? Are you sure? Are you counting? Did you lose count? Tell nobody but God about what? These are lines that make us want to read on and to find answers because we discover right away there's more to this story than we expected. And we're not even through the first paragraph yet. The writer of the book of Judges does the same thing to us. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, After the death of Joshua, and immediately we're kind of saying, Whoa, hold it there. Joshua who? Why is that the time stamp for the start of the story? And interestingly, if you go to the start of the previous book, the book of Joshua, that begins, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead, now you go and... And that's in Joshua chapter 1. You see, we might occasionally recall the great stories of those Old Testament heroes in Judges. Deborah, Gideon, Samson, especially as we gloss over some of the gorier details for Sunday school. But we don't really typically spend a lot of time dwelling in the history books of the 13th century BC. So why do these events matter? Well, firstly, we know that history is important because we can learn from it and perhaps even learn to not repeat it. In particular, the stories of those bits of which we're not proud, or even find to be downright disturbing. We've been reminded of that in our own headlines here in Canada over the past few weeks, as more hidden secrets of our very dark past have been uncovered in the county counting of unmarked grave sites of hundreds of native children at the old residential schools. Secondly, when Paul wrote to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, They didn't have the Gospels and the Acts and the Letters and the Revelation of John and the the whole New Testament that we have, because they were the New Testament people. Just as we are the continuation of the New Testament people today. So, just like Jesus quoted the Scriptures that we call the Old Testament, Paul speaks of the importance of the Scriptures they had which to us is a form of the Old Testament. So the knowledge of these events and these people matters. You see, these history books in the Old Testament tell the stories of God's people over several generations and their relationship with the God of covenant who called them into being and gave them an identity as his people. Perhaps if we were to be truly honest, as we investigate further into the stories told, we might understand it as being the history of God's people. We did a number of things along the way of which we're really not proud, but God was always faithful anyway. So we come to the second chapter of Judges, some of which we read today and it's it's a summary of what the big story of that book is really about the faithfulness of god even when the people wander listen to what we're told at verse 16 then the lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders then of the people we're told at verse 17 Yet they would not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Now that is a pretty scathing account of those wandering people, isn't it? But let me ask you this question. When we've been set free... And perhaps we've had our prayers answered. How long do we remain faithful to the God who set us free and answered those prayers? How long do we continue to pray? When is the point that we begin to feel settled, satisfied, right done by? Because we've got what we needed from the divine vending machine and we're good until next time. You see, the reason behind that accusation is found in verse 10. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, which is a euphemism for they died and gone to glory, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Something had changed. The Israelites had been on this 40-year journey where Yahweh had been known as their provider, protector, guide, healer, miracle worker, promised presence, and so much more. But now that they're in the promised land, getting settled, no longer under the oppression of Egypt, they're free. Now they need to figure out how to make that society sustainable, to grow the crops, to develop culture and identity as settled people, to find a God that will give them the political power. And within only a couple of generations, the nation that identified themselves as God's chosen people had decided that what God had done for them was in the past. They were no longer seeing him, so they thought, do these famous mighty works. Those stories of salvation were apparently no longer relevant to today. And as they looked around the Canaanite culture for what was going to help them, they, they may have pretended to be appalled by what they saw, but secretly there was, there was something so alluring, attractive about that lifestyle. Having just the right lord or master for that particular need, or to portray that particular lifestyle image. Dare I suggest trying to blend in with their friends, to assimilate with what was around them, instead of being that gentle presence of a witness to the living God? You see, as we excitedly anticipate the potential feeling of freedom after the lockdowns of a global pandemic. Allow me to share with you this analogy written by the three authors of the book Preparing Sunday Dinner. I confess this is written from the North American angle, but I suspect that it certainly applies in many other places as well, including the UK. They write, some observers say the shopping mall has replaced the church as the place where people gather on weekends. As the church was the centre of life in an earlier time, the mall has come to stand at the centre of people's lives. Traffic and road patterns converge not on churches but on shopping centres. Typically malls are constructed in cruciform shapes. High vaulted ceilings suggest transcendent reality. Large colourful banners and seasonal floral displays are prominent features in both. And any decent-sized mall seems to have a fountain, the secular equivalent perhaps of the baptismal font. The analogy continues with comments about the meeting places of all ages, the appropriate music the seasonal events, the greeters, the tithes and the offerings at the checkout and the ritual blessings as we depart with have a good day before making this observation. Nearly everyone who has ever gone shopping knows the experience of coming home empty-handed. We wanted something although we may not have known quite what it was, and we came home with our desire unsatisfied. Now don't get me wrong, shopping malls themselves are not wrong or evil or anything along that route, I'm not going down that route, and shopping is not wrong either, even if it's not on the top of my list of favourite pastimes. We need to eat. We need to be clothed. We need to have certain items for our homes and families. That's life. And we need our work. But can we honestly ask ourselves the question, what is the desire that we're trying to meet in our lives when we already have so much and we're still not satisfied? When God doesn't seem to meet our requests and answer our prayers when we want him to, do we remain faithful? When we want something for ourselves that we perhaps think is not what God wants for us, but we would quite like to get our own way anyway, do we just try to avoid him in the hope that maybe he just won't notice? Verse 7 in Judges chapter 2 tells us The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and with the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But as soon as they weren't seeing the great things being done from those legendary stories because their needs were actually different to the generations that had gone before or in the name of progress perhaps they were apparently looking for Let's call them today's solutions for today's problems elsewhere. So they wandered. Yet here was God. Faithful God. Yet here was God, faithful God, always here and wanting to fulfil his part in the covenant. Look with me at verse 18. We're told, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. The book of Judges details in particular the years where after the Exodus with Moses, arriving in Canaan with Joshua and those few years of getting settled, the descendants of Abraham wanted leaders. And so God appointed judges, not judges as we imagine them, sitting in court sessions with fancy robes and wigs, but they were simply more like community leaders or rulers, appointed people with authority. And these were the rulers for Israel for a few generations until they decided that wasn't enough and the people wanted to look like everybody else and have a king, at which point God appointed Saul to that task in 1 Samuel. We'll discover something more about that another time, perhaps. But here is what really happened. The people of Israel, now in this settled land, missed out. They missed out on so much that God was desperately wanting to give to them simply because they thought that He was merely the stories of the past. The God of the previous generations. The God of our parents and our grandparents. And life is different now. We should be able to enjoy our freedom. I know my rights. Remember that rights don't make it right. As I mentioned that. But time after time he rescued them. Time after time he provided for them. Time after time he protected them. Time after time he kept his promises. And time after time they wandered back to
2: whatever.
1: And God still does that today. And we still do that today. But let me remind you of this. Even when we wander, God is still faithful. Friends, we are a people of God with a remarkable story to tell. A story of love, of sacrifice, of redemption, of healing, of hope, of eternity. It's a story of thousands of generations. But just as importantly, it's a story of you and me experiencing that salvation today. So I ask you, are you paying attention to what God is doing and saying to you right where you are? What are you missing out on because of your own stubborn wandering? Are you enjoying the earthly chapters of your eternal life in the presence of God now? Or are you hoping for a late admission with a discount sometime along the way? The problem with that waiting is that the welcome home is already paid for. And if we don't take it, we're the ones missing out. You might be saying, but that's all for somebody else, not for me. Yet there's a promise of Jesus in John's Gospel that tells us otherwise. And you probably know this verse, so I invite you to say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why? All because God is faithful and invites his wandering people home with wide open arms.
0: Thank you so much, Captain Nick, for sharing that wonderful insight with us this evening. And thank you, Lord, for being indeed our faithful God. As Nick said, the children of Israel were always wandering away from God. And that brought a song to my mind with which we're going to end our meeting tonight. It's number 907, and that is Ruford McDaniel's Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. And of course, one of the verses allows us to affirm that we have, once and for all, I hope, ceased from our wanderings and going astray. May God bless you all this week, and in all you do for him. And now I pray that thy grace, peace and heaven's richest and choicest blessings will be with us now and remain with us always. Amen.